Well, first, let me, uh, let me welcome you to uh, Good Friday at Renovation Church. It's uh, not a service that a lot of churches do. Uh, usually a Good Friday service is held about noontime on Friday. Um, we chose, and since we're new at this and we don't know what we're doing, we can do most anything we want to do. We chose in the beginning not to do a Thursday night service when you would typically have many of the elements that we're uh, in, involving tonight, but to do it on a Friday night uh, when we could really focus on the cross, but on communion as well. The first year that we held the uh, Good Friday service, we, we focused on the passion, the passion of the Christ. Last year, we looked at a more introspective time and, and had prayer, we called it dwell, where we could actually come and, and just spend time uh, in his presence in whatever form that might take. We, we, we had no plan for the evening at all. It was just uh, Holy Spirit-led. And then tonight I felt that it was important for us to, you know, we never do, we being pastors, we never really do a teaching on communion and what it's about and why we do it. I guess we assume that everybody that comes in the door knows. But one of the neat things that we found here at Renovation is everybody that comes in the door doesn't know. And isn't that great? Isn't that great? So I, I think our time is well spent on Good Friday evening, taking a look at the supper that our Lord celebrated with his disciples, what would be last evening. Um, it all evolves around Passover, as we will see. There are some handouts that you were given. If you want to follow those, you're welcome to. If you don't want to follow them, throw them away. I mean, don't let them get in your way. Don't let them be something that irritates. But they're there if you want to follow along and kind of know where we're going. Want to know how much longer we have. And uh, if you would like to have something to look back at maybe uh, after this time is over. Uh, it would be there for you. I hope you have a Bible with you. I notice some of you do, some of you don't. We have a few up here on these little tables on the sides. If you would like to come up and get one of those to use, you're welcome to. We're going to be heavy into Scripture. And uh, because that's, the, that's what tells us about communion. Um, all the Scriptures will be on the screen as well. I think you can follow them there. And then the reason that I listed them in your handout is so that you could go back and look at those scriptures in your handout um, maybe over the next week or two. Before we begin, let me say that we believe in this church that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and, and our entire life. Uh, we... Uh, put a lot of emphasis on scripture here at renovation so listen as we read these scriptures from god's word i'm going to go through the gospels with the account of the upper room and the last supper with jesus and the disciples and we'll begin in matthew those of you that are are from renovation know that we can't get out of matthew we, i think we're going to be a matthew for the next five years but 
Here we find ourselves in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And we go over to Mark, Mark chapter 14. I think it's, uh, we talk about this almost every week, but it's important for us to look at the different uh, gospels to see the account of those eyewitnesses that gave their testimony in, in this book. Um, all of them were there. All of them saw, saw the same event. But uh, just as a robbery at a bank takes place and ten people are in the bank and you get ten different descriptions of the robber and ten different descriptions of the events around it, um, it helps us to put the whole scene together. If the cops interview everybody, they have a pretty good picture of what really happened. And that's what we do when we look from one gospel to another. I want to back up just a second here to uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 12, because this is important to us. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, I'm aware that tonight is not Passover. Passover takes place. It's a lunar holiday for the... Uh, for the Jewish people, it takes place on the first full moon after the vernal equinox, after spring comes, the first full moon. Our Easter happens to take place on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. That's why it changes every year from, from uh, March to April, and this time it's, it's fairly early. So this evening that this meal took place was Passover. Passover, that's real important. I asked Walt and, and Caroline and John to play music that would take us to almost dusk because Passover starts at sundown. It begins at sundown. The Jewish day begins at sundown, and it goes till the next sundown. So we are almost at the... At the right time. Just remember anytime you're reading scripture about uh, the crucifixion and the, those three days, 
that the moon was full. I think you'll see some different things that maybe you wouldn't see before if, if you understand that some of the events that took place, particularly this night we're talking about, if, you, if those took place in the light of the moon. Verse uh, 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22 beginning at verse 14. And this says, when the hour came, that hour would be sundown. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. A little different wording that he used there from what he used in the other two. Fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What, what could that possibly mean? What he's talking about is the events that take place in Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And Jesus said, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. The bride is the church, us. The bridegroom is Jesus himself. He's waiting for us to come to him in heaven where we will have the biggest feast you've ever seen the wedding feast of the Lamb. He will find fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Verse 
Ah, 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The three accounts of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, however you want to refer to it, the Passover meal. 1 Corinthians 11 is a scripture that, you know, we, we... we guys that go to seminary have to study because this is where Paul wrote what you're supposed to do. He was writing to the church in uh, Corinth, a church that was all messed up. I mean, if anybody could do anything wrong, it was the people in Corinth, and the church in Corinth was even worse. Uh, he was writing to them to kind of straighten out some of their theology and some of their, their uh, motivations behind doing the Lord's Supper. And in, in his letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, this is the verse that we usually use in our services. If you've been in a Christian service at any point, this is usually what they refer to when they institute the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So he's saying, I didn't make this up. I got this directly from Jesus. Remember, the light came to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, He was blinded. After he got his sight back, he went to the desert for some time. And it was there that he had his theological training. Jesus taught him. And this must be one of the things he told him about. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to skip the rest for now because we're going to look at it a little bit later. At the beginning of your handout, there were two or three fill-in-the-blanks. The first was communion is, is an object lesson that represents a great spiritual truth for believers. An object lesson. As if we were teaching a child. The best way to teach children is with an object lesson. Show and tell, you know. Let them see it. Let them feel it. Let them touch it. An object lesson. And that's the way that Jesus chose to teach his disciples about his death. Communion, sometimes referred to as the Lord's Supper, is a celebration of Jesus' death. Jesus never told us to remember his birth, but he commanded us to remember his death. Our Christian communion is reminiscent of the Seder, the Passover meal. Seder means ordered, and in the Passover that we're going to look at a little bit later, it's very ordered. There's a specific way to carry it out. So it's reminiscent of the Passover meal.
Well, on exactly what was this Passover meal based? What was it all about? Well, we won't go into the whole story, but the, the Israelites had been captive in Egypt for a long time. And um, Moses went to Egypt at the command of God to bring his people out of Egypt. Uh, there were a lot of events that took place, but toward the end there were ten plagues, ten curses that took place. The last of which was uh, God said he was going to take, going to kill the firstborn, first male child of every family in Egypt. Didn't matter whether you were Jewish or Egyptian or or Pentecostal or Presbyterian or what. The first male child was going to get killed. The only way that that would not happen is if a lamb was killed, the blood was uh, painted on the doorpost, the outside of the door, so that when the angel of death came through the city, the angel would pass over that house and not take the child. Well, the Israelite people all got the word. The Egyptians either didn't get the word or didn't believe it. So the, the children of the uh, Israelites were spared. That's where the term Passover comes from. And they just want to remember it every year as they, um, as they celebrate this feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread because as they left in a hurry, they didn't have time to put yeast into bread and let it rise. They had to just take flour, water essentially, put it together, make bread, and that was, that was what they ate. ate. That's why it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Exodus chapter 6, if I can get my Bible to open up there. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, is what the Jewish family would look at on this night. I, I titled this thing, um, Why is this night different from all other nights? Because that's the question that the eldest boy child in the family asks at the Seder meal, at the Passover meal. Why is this night so different from every other night? And these four things are recounted um, for the family in, in segments. Uh, each one will be, will be said, a prayer given about it, a glass of wine, a cup of wine will be drunk, and... Uh, they'll talk about it a little bit. And then they'll go to the next one of these. Here is the scripture that they look at. Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, God is telling Moses here, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I, I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, <clears throat> and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That's the scripture. Let's break it down a little bit. In verse 6, he says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. 
the first cup. There's two cups of wine that are drunk at the Passover meal. Uh, four cups, excuse me. Two cups before the meal, two cups after the meal. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. Sanctification just means setting apart, being set apart from everybody else. And God says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to set you apart from that yoke. You're going to be different. The second thing is that the Lord says, he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. The second cup of wine would be the cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from them. You will no longer be slaves to them. And then after the dinner, the two cups would be these. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. That's the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. And the fourth cup in verse, well, same verse. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And I will, verse 8, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The last cup, the fourth cup, is the cup of the ingathering. Ingathering. Coming together. All together with what he had promised. So let's look at this um, scripture in Luke, just one second. I don't know whether I've got it on the slides, Luke. If I don't, that's okay. Um, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples, apostles, reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Here's the first cup. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The second cup would be taken with this bread. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the third cup would be in verse 29. In the same way, after the supper, remember the third cup comes after the supper. That's how we know it was the third cup. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And I think, there's nothing in scripture that says either way. I think Jesus did not drink from that fourth cup. That was the one that he was saving until we could all be together. It's the cup of the ingathering. He would wait till the church was in fact there for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then he would drink from that cup. So what is communion? Communion is a simple act. There's nothing complicated about it. It's an object lesson, remember? Simple bread, simple wine, bought at any store. Simple 
Communion is a symbol. A symbol. I think in, in, in our Reformed faiths, you know, anybody that's not Catholic, we've, we want to so separate ourselves from the Catholic Church that we are big on saying the bread represents the body of Christ. Well, do you see that, uh, that word represents in those scriptures that I read to you? Anywhere? Is it there? Do you see it? Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. I think we can sort those things out. We don't have to believe in uh, transubstantiation as the Catholics do. But he can say, this is my body. This is my blood. And we understand exactly what it is because it's a symbol. It's an object lesson. It's a statement of faith also, too. Remember the scripture that we read from 1 Corinthians when Paul told the church in Corinth how it was supposed to be done. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death. When? Until I come. There's the statement of faith. It's a statement of faith that Christ is coming back. He's coming for us so that we can all be in the in-gathering together, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Every one of us can be there. Statement of faith. Communion is a simple act. It's a symbol, and it's a statement of faith. On the back of your handout, I've asked the question, how do I prepare myself for communion? An important thing to be prepared for this night. Many churches, um, we, at renovation, we do communion every Sunday. In many churches, it's once a quarter, once a month, you know, whenever. And they have a time that they can tell people in advance that communion is going to take place. Uh, prepare yourselves is what they're essentially saying. They may not say it in those words, but they're saying prepare yourselves. Make sure you're ready for communion. Well, what do we need to do? Paul tells us in that same letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, those verses that I skipped are verses 27 through 29. And he says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Your first blank there is self-examination. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what is an unworthy manner? What would be an unworthy manner? What do you think Paul meant there? I mean, he had some specifics for these people, but what, what could we take away as an unworthy manner? Let me not make that a rhetorical question. Let me let you answer. What would be unworthy? <clears throat> Have sin issues. Unforgiveness. That's the biggest one, I think. Unforgiveness. What else? Anything else? Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin, okay, yeah. 
Those would be unworthy. Uh, And it says also, um, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. Who would that person be? One, an unbeliever. An unbeliever. Somebody that has not professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are the ones that would eat um, without recognizing the body of the Lord. They would eat and drink judgment on themselves. So the first thing to do to prepare is self-examination. The second is that sin issue you talked about, confessing my sins. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a promise there. If we've got sin and if we confess that sin, you don't have to worry about it. He's going to take it away from you. All you have to do is speak it and it's removed. He's sitting there ready. He is God. He's sitting there ready to take that from you. Confess, confessing my sin. The third thing to prepare myself for communion is a recommitment. A recommitment. And I chose for this uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers... And sisters, we might say, in view of God's mercy, mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. A recommitment. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you are a Christ follower. Maybe you read your Bible every day. And then you stopped for some time. Maybe you've fallen away or whatever term you want to use for a while you've a distance has grown between you and god recommit recommit and how do you do that you give your entire bodies offer your bodies as living living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god that means every portion of your life that means your service That means your love and devotion, of course. That means your finances. That means your relationships. That means everything, every facet of your life. Holy and pleasing to God. The uh, last one is restoring relationships. That one was mentioned also. How important Jesus thought that was. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, he says... In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Bringing your offering to the altar in the temple was the supreme act of worship and devotion. But Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, don't don't do that. Don't do that if you've got something against your brother or your brother has something against you. Mend that up. Then come and bring your offering. It's almost as if he's saying, your sacrifice won't be accepted until this is made right. 
that unforgiveness issue is so, so very important. Well, that's pretty much where we are with the, with the communion and its uh, reminiscence to the Passover. Um, we move to this table tonight, and we're going to do communion in a little different, well, a lot of different way. Uh, I imagine most of you have not done it this way before. I've never done it this way before in my life, so this is new for all of us. But I thought it would be neat on this one occasion if we could kind of get a feel for what it might be like to be sitting around a table. We always do it in our pews or chairs at church. Sitting around a table, fellowshipping with one another, and sharing this most important of meals. I asked uh, the greeters to make sure you had a name tag. Some of you folks may not know the other folks that are sitting at your table. We, we have three services. It's highly possible that you don't know some of the people that are at the other services. We have guests here tonight. And we need to know who they are and they need to know us. And that's all part of this fellowship that takes place around a Passover table. A Passover meal, by the way, would last for three hours. I mean, it's not just eat, you know, uh, have your dessert and go home. You sit and talk and, and, and remember the things that God has done for you. All those different things that he has done to, to sanctify you, to deliver you, to redeem you, and look forward to the ingathering with him. Those are so important to the meal. Um, what we're going to do is uh, I will ask in a moment for our servers to come up. They're going to get a, a plate with a loaf of bread on it. They're going to get a glass of wine as well. We use wine here at Renovation. If you choose to use juice, there's juice on every table, so feel free to use that instead if, if that would be your preference. Someone at your table should be designated to actually break the loaf and then pass it around. And you'll notice on your handout, your handout, I feel like communion is a very personal thing. Yes, Jesus died for the world. God uh, so loved the world that he gave his only son. But you know, he gave his son for you individually. And I think it's real important that we personalize communion. So anytime we offer communion here at Renovation, we try to call the people by name. And if we don't know your name, we ask your name. You know, could you tell me your name? I mean, I've, I've been there before and just go blank. You know how those stupid moments are when, when you've got somebody there that you've known for five years. And what, it, what is your name? Help me with it. Um, so we call them by name. And the statement that we use is, is on your handout. Jesus said, Dave, this is my body that's broken for you. And this is my blood that's poured out for all of your sins. So I'd like for you to, to do that and pass it along at your table. You'll t actually tear off a piece of the bread. This is his body that was broken and torn for us. I've, I've probably been asked a hundred times, who killed Jesus? 
Was it the Romans or was it the Jews? And the answer is, I killed Jesus. And you killed Jesus. And I think as we tear a bit of this bread off to dip into the wine, it might help us remember that it wasn't a heart attack. It was suffering. And it wasn't a Roman and it wasn't a Jew that killed him. It was my sin that sent him to the cross. How very important to remember on this night. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And now you know that after the meal, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Every drop of it for your sins and my sins. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember my death until I come. Statement of faith. Remember sanctification. Remember deliverance. Remember redemption, buying you back from sin. And remember the ingathering that is yet to take place. Servers, would you, uh, would you come, please? Take this moment to do a self-examination. See where you are. See what it is that uh, you need to talk to your Lord about this evening.